You're listening to Divorce Literacy with the Divorce Lending Association, a divorce podcast where we dig deep into issues of divorce that center around the marital home, other real property, and divorce mortgage planning, helping divorcing homeowners and their divorce team make more informed decisions regarding home equity solutions during and after divorce. Hello, everyone. Jason Gordon, Certified Divorce Lending Professional. I'm here to spotlight a good friend and colleague and a very well-known person in the San Diego family law community, Mr. Jim Miller. Jim, thanks for coming out today. No, thanks for having me on, Gordo. You're very welcome. So I want to give you a proper introduction here. So for those that don't know you, so Jim Miller is an award-winning family law attorney in San Diego with over 25 years of experience in both family law and civil litigation. He has also been nominated to be a superior court judge on two occasions. Jim is active in his community, currently sitting as the elected president of the local school school board and other philanthropic organizations over his career. Jim, I'm just going to jump on in if that's okay with you and just ask you to provide us with a little bit of background knowledge about yourself, your practice, and really give us an idea of all the different types of law. Why did you go into family law? Well, I'll start with your last question first. I went into family law because my father, who was one of the preeminent family law attorneys in San Diego, and he was Jim Miller as well. um, He unfortunately passed away, as you might recall, about 14 years ago. So we were practicing law together. I have my civil litigation practice where I also represent professional athletes in their contract negotiations. And he had his family law practice. And while we did not partner, we worked out of the same office, had similar, had shared staff, same space. I loved working with my dad, brilliant attorney. Well, he passed away. And it's one thing for two lawyers to run an office of that volume. It's another thing for one lawyer to run an office of that volume. So after some consideration, I made the decision to maintain staff, maintain our operation and take over his caseload for those clients that were willing to to do that. I mean, I wasn't an, a young attorney at that point, but I wasn't an old attorney either. Um, to the credit of my father, 79 of his 80 active cases agreed to sign over and have me continue the case. Now, I was not wow. a family lawyer. Right? I had gone through a divorce myself um, way back in law school, but that was about my only experience in family law. Other than tacitly working with my dad, seeing some cases here and there. But I was a lo- I was a trial lawyer. I was a litigator. So I knew how to argue a case in trial, both in federal and state court. I think that that was an attraction for the family law lawyer, uh, pardon me, family law cases, when they said, hey, you may not know family law, but you're a lawyer. You can learn it. You can learn the area of law, but you can't always learn how to present to a judge. So they signed over and we've been successful ever since. But the overall background, coming back to your first question, so grew up in San Diego, born and raised, uh, Valhalla High School, San Diego State, business degree. I was an athlete at San Diego State. I was fortunate enough to be both on the baseball team as a freshman. I redshirted and then ended up uh, winning three letters for the track and field team. Great experience. And I think that competitiveness translates over to being a lawyer, especially when you're arguing cases. Uh, you look at the case at a in a different light because you have that competitiveness in you. 
Fast forward, went to law school at Thomas Jefferson, which was then in Old Town, now in downtown San Diego. Hit the ground with a small, small firm in downtown San Diego on the litigation side. Broke out on my own, give or take the end of 1997, early 1998, and have been doing it ever since. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as someone who personally knew your father, I know he was a great man and obviously hugely respected in the field. And talk about a trial by fire for you just to be able, you know, to be in that position to have to take on that many cases. And I mean, that's, that, that's a lot. And that, that's a pretty good opt-in ratio too. Only one person said, no, huh? That, that's amazing. <laughs> no, it was, it was overwhelming. Uh, the support that they had for my father and that they were willing to confide in me and that same side of, you know, Jim, we trust you to handle this and trial by fire is a good way to put it. It was, it was like being a first year lawyer again, 14 hour days, learning case law, learning code, learning the different personalities of the judges as you were going before them. You know, you know what they say, right? Uh, a good lawyer knows the, knows the law, but a great lawyer knows the judge. Um, it's true. You, you need to know who your audience is for each of your cases. And it, that takes a while to develop. And I hadn't been in family law courses uh, cases before, right? I had done all civil litigation. So I knew how to present to the civil litigation judges, but not to the family law bench, other than a few of the judges that I would go in again, watch my father perform. But it was fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it was a fun time because I got to learn things and learning things to me is fun. And learning that area of law and being able to help so many people very quickly. Um, yeah, trial by fire, but I enjoyed it while he did it. Wasn't easy, but I did enjoy it. I imagine it wasn't easy. No. And I think both personally and professionally, we all know that divorce is unique. Each case has its own kind of personality to it, different players involved. And it's really hard. I know this is kind of a generic question given all those different variables, but if you could change anything or give a heads up bit of advice to someone who is just getting started with that path, what would you offer? So the, the number one thing when it comes down to the decision, I'm going to get a divorce, right? It's twofold. One, am I getting a divorce and do I have a family with minor children? Because that dynamic is very different than I'm getting divorced and I have no minor children, right? So both sides have financial components. Both sides often have real estate components, which of course is part of what our discussion is today. But when you have children involved, you got to make the decision, am I getting divorced and am I going to react or interact with my former spouse in a way that lends dignity to me being a parent of these kids? Or am I going to interact with him or her in a way that does not dignify my parentage of these children? Because you can hate the person you're getting divorced from, whether you really hate them or you just hate them in the short term to get through the case because that helps you get through the case. But your kids are going to see it, and you don't want that to affect them. So whatever you do, do everything that's possible to insulate the children. Don't talk about the case. Don't talk poorly about your other spouse. Don't allow the family members to do that. 
And if you can be as vicious as you need to be in a courtroom, but be a complete kitten or puppy or whatever you want to analogize to around your kids, that's the way to go through this process and to get your mind straight. And whether you're using an attorney that really likes to try to mediate and kumbaya come together, or whether you're using a litigation attorney who's maybe a little bit more aggressive and, and frankly, I kind of fall into that category somewhat because of my background as a trial lawyer before I went into family law, make sure that you're having that conversation so you and your lawyer are on the same page to protect the kids. Now, if there aren't kids involved, game on. Right. Yeah. And I think the more you really look at this from a human level, it's not just the divorce. There's splitting up of financials, maybe real estate, maybe there's custody issues with the kids. Maybe some of the kids have special needs. And I think as we really start to put it together, these divorcees need a team more often than not. And I would just, I mean, I, I really believe that the divorce attorney is kind of like the captain of that team, right? You're, you're often like almost like the contractor who decides who the general contractors are or the general practicing doctor who decides who, who to kind of bring in at different times. Is there any kind of recommendation that you have to the public as to what to look for when they select any of these professionals involved? Well, I like the analogy of, of the coach of the team. Um, I also use the analogy of a spoken hub, right? We're in the center and then we come out to this expert or we come out to this expert. And if it involves real estate, you need to have possibly appraisers on hand. You need to have an individual such as yourself who knows what they're talking about in the lending world, because how you go through the divorce, is there a refinance? Is there a sale? Is there a buyout? Is there an assumption of the loan? Those are all things that, frankly, most lawyers, we don't do that, right? We can't rationally or intelligently advise on that. We need a separate expert such as you to advise our clients to help them make that decision as to what they do with the property. Because some of those properties, let's be honest, there's a very strong emotional tie. Oh, this is the property we had our first child in. This is the property where our kids grew up. This is the property that my, my family owned before we moved in together. And you need to try to divest that emotional bond to property and make sure you're making smart financial decisions. And then you forward that, you have vocational evaluations. And you know an expert there as to what should somebody be making if they're not earning, if they're not working right now. You have experts that come in alliance as to forensic accounting, which comes into a lot of our cases is forensic accounting. Again, we're lawyers. I have a degree in business. Finance with an emphasis in real estate, as a matter of fact, is as you know, but we're not forensic accountants. We became lawyers to avoid math. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you bring in these experts and you've got to know who the courts are going to use as well. Because a lot of times they're called an evidence 730 expert. And when you do those things, you want somebody who, when they present their report to the court, the court's going to acknowledge, oh, okay, this is an individual who has already been vetted by the court system, has already come before the court system dozens, if not hundreds of times. So you're not sitting there arguing over the person's qualifications to be an expert. And a good lawyer should have those people on speed dial. No, 100%. And I think 
nowadays with the Google generation, I think between just Googling and saying, I could figure this out myself, or maybe, hey, I refinanced my house once. I think I know about mortgages or I have kids. I know what's best for custody. I think it's sometimes tempting for folks to veer outside of their lane. And what I've learned just professionally is the absolute importance of staying in our lane and finding the experts, you know, the 730 or what may be experts in their field that you can have, you know, get involved. And it kind of gives you some clearance too. That way you don't have to, you know, to know all these things. My running joke with a lot of my attorney friends is, uh, you know, where'd you go to law school? Oh, fill in the blank. Oh, that's a good school. I'm sure I've heard good things. So at what point in law school did they teach you Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac underwriting guidelines? And it's always kind of a funny moment, like, oh, the why are you trying to <laughs> dictate lending practices? Let, let's let us help help you understand what you can and cannot do and craft those orders in a way that's going to lead to a successful loan getting funded. Um, now, another question for you, and I'm going to preface this by saying I don't, and I know we're not going to give out names or uh, breach any confident, confidentiality, but is there one memorable case and without going into every single detail that you just worked on that just really impacted you, whether it's professionally, intrinsically, maybe you'd speak about that. Um, you, know, you have those cases where you look at it as a clear win and it's a win on both sides. Your client's happy. The other side, for whatever reason, is happy. But ultimately, it comes down to when there's kids involved. Did you do the right thing for these kids? And there, there's a couple of those for sure. Um, cases where the parties, because they were not thinking of the kids at the beginning of the case, a few months in, were able to not reconcile, meaning to come together and, and relight their relationship, but they were able to reconcile the fact that, hey, we're getting divorced. We have a couple of kids to do what's right for the kids. Let's sit down in a mediation session and hammer this out. And fortunately, there's been a good number of those. And I would say that they're all equally where they decide where the child's going to go to school jointly. It's not, I want the child to go where I live. And the other one goes, I want the child to go where I live. That's, that's just trying to use the kid in the middle, right? But those cases where they really become focused on the child, in my opinion, those are the big wins that I, I really like. And I can go home and I can I can smile about my day versus what my normal day is going to look like. Um, on the other side, you know, we're in we're in May of 2023 right now during this interview. And at the end of this month, I have a trial on a case that has lasted for six years. Wow. The other side has gone through, he has gone through 10 different lawyers from five different law firms. The There's no assets. He is only doing this because at the very beginning of the case, he told my client in front of me, in open uh, court, in front of the hallway, I'm going to make you pay as much as I possibly can through this divorce. Oh. Now, he's been successful to this extent that he's dragged the case out because every time he gets a new lawyer, we have to continue or postpone dates that are set. But he's the type of guy, he's, he's, he's a scary mental guy. He will, I'll, I'll have him broken down on the stand and he'll be crying. And in the hallway, he's ready to fight. 
there's something definitely wrong with him. Um, so it's a happy note because my client was smart enough to get away from that person. Um, it's an unhappy note because he has been successful to game the system. He's challenged uh, four different judicial officers, been successful in one of those challenges because when something is ordered against him, all of a sudden it's the judge's fault, not his own. Um, there's welfare fraud involved because he stopped working and claimed that he had primary custody of the child, claims the child on all of his tax returns, even though he's not supposed to, just so he can qualify for welfare benefits. Now, as an attorney, I cannot leverage that and report him. That's up to the welfare system to do. And just for me to point it out to the court when we go back to court. But that's a case that's going to leave a leave one of those memorable um, learning scars on me when it's finally over with come come May, the end of this month. Wow. So that's that's the bad side of things. Somebody not focused on the child, focus on only revenge against their ex compared to the other ones where they realize the kids are the most important factor and they figure it out and the finances be what they be. They focus on the kids. And those are the happy days. Wow. That reminds me of a quote I heard from a family court judge once. He was saying, hey, what's the difference between family court and criminal court? And he says, in criminal court, you have bad people on their best behavior. In family court, you have good people on their worst behavior. And I thought that was pretty telling. And I mean, your story True. just completely reinforces that. You almost have to be part psychotherapist in addition to attorney at times. All the more reason to stay in your lane. <laughs> exactly. So, when you talk about those experts, you know, psychological evaluations come into play. Oh, I so. would have to imagine, especially when they're not behaving themselves all that well. And if right. kids are involved. Well, hey, Jim, I know you're real busy. Again, as, as a friend and as a colleague, you know, I, I see you on social media and obviously, we, you know, we we're social together. I know you got a lot on your plate, not just on the professional side, but you're obviously a very caring and loving father and husband to a wonderful woman, you know, daughter um, who's just knocking it out of the park from what I see on social media constantly. And of course, I know you're strong brother and a, a good son to a very wonderful mom. So I, I really do appreciate you taking time just to kind of get on here. And hopefully this will reach somebody that might want to know a little bit more about you. And that kind of brings me into a couple of closing questions here. If someone's watching this video and says, I want to know more about Jim Miller or kind of get some of his expertise, is there somewhere that they can go to learn more about you? Well, the law office website ha has some biography information and, you know, a listing of some of our awards, not all of them. And the best way to do that is JP Miller law. So the initial J P is in Peter Miller law.com. Let's go there. Uh, it has our contact information, has our address. Feel free to give me a call. We do, you know, 30 minute consultations for free. Uh, if you hire me, we back bill it. If you don't hire me, you got 30 minutes of, of good foundation to move forward in what you're going to do. You talk about staying in your lane. An awful lot of people in family law try to represent themselves. I can only put it to you this way. We speak a different language in a courtroom. Going to law school was not just about learning law, but learning how language affects outcomes and how to interpret. And if that's not your background, regardless as to how successful or, or your background and your education is, 
you really should go to an, to an attorney and have an evaluation done as to what's going to happen in your case. So you have a roadmap. And if you want to try it from that point forward, great. But at least you'll have the basics, the, the family law 101, so to speak, to tell you, okay, I have these five major issues of these five major issues. Which ones could I realistically address myself? And which ones do I realistically need to have professional guidance on? 100%. Now, I, I tell a lot of clients that there's a huge kind of disparity between what we call life logic and lawyer logic. And of course, when you bring me in on the lender logic, I mean, just the combinations and the disconnects are, are just bountiful. So um, I absolutely agree with that. Well, Jim, I want to thank you again very much for taking time. Uh, again, those of you in the audience who are watching this video, I really highly endorse and recommend Jim Miller. He's a great guy and obviously a wonderful professional. He knows his stuff and uh, please do reach out to him. And Jim, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it, Gordo. Take care. You got it, bud. Thanks for listening to Divorce Literacy. Discover more strategies and solutions on divorce mortgage planning at divorcelendingassociation.com.